Welcome to New Covenant Conversations. I'm your host, Gary Elliott. I'm an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church of America and have served in ministry for over 40 years. I'm joined by my son, Stuart. Hey there. Good to be with you again. Um, looking forward to our conversation this morning. We uh, are continuing this conversation from episode one. This is episode two of New Covenant Conversations. Um, for those who are just tuning in, please check us out on the website, ncconvo.com, and uh, check us out on our Facebook page as well, at ncconvo. Uh, we've begun to develop some resources there, articles and posts and um, podcasts, uh, audio and video. So um, we're excited to get that going and produce more content and uh, keep this conversation going. So uh, last week uh, our, on episode one, we introduced ourselves, we introduced our theme, uh, Covenant Theology, and we kind of had a, a broad picture of what we wanted to talk about and what, what the theme of our conversations would be, which would be the, the New Covenant. And, um, you know, I, I we, we talked a little bit of last week about why a conversation like this might be helpful and necessary. And for myself, I'm coming at this as a as a layperson, as uh, as someone who's being discipled, um, and I think that's a an important perspective because that's the majority of us. <laughs> majority of Christians are those who are um, who are really being discipled and and attempting to take um, what what we are uh, we're given in terms of sermons and and discipleship and various other. Um, avenues and apply it to our lives. And I think sometimes that can be, um, that can be a tricky to navigate, tricky to, 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 as a layperson to understand how is it that, that I apply these things and how is it that I understand them in my day-to-day -day walk of faith. And so I'd like to gear our conversation towards that. Um, and in a way that hopefully will be helpful both to teachers, disciplers, and, um, those being discipled. And that's kind of where I want to go uh, today in our conversation. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, we can even refer to this as a pastoral approach to mm -hmm. covenantal theology. Uh, it doesn't take away from any of the uh, refined study and the deep study of covenant, but we want it to be very accessible. Mm -hmm. And we want people to understand uh, how this impacts their life of faith mm -hmm. as we uh, follow the Lord Jesus, we grow in grace and knowledge. And um, so the discussion of covenant theology, even though it takes in some very refined points about um, theology and in, in, in the broad uh, meaning of theology, it narrows it down to the way that we can know and trust and uh, recognize the faithfulness of God, his pattern and his practice in uh, being uh, connected in our lives. And I think that's uh, all very helpful and hopefully will be helpful both to those who are trying to learn and to those who might be trying to teach as well. Well, one of the things as a layperson that um, that I've found um, is specifically regarding covenant theology um, is, is it can be uh, something that to, to those who are unfamiliar, it can be a bit confusing. To, to, to know what it is and how to wrap your mind around it. And part of that, I think, might be because um, perhaps the way it's presented 
um, oftentimes. Um, I think the conversations surrounding covenant theology typically happen in a more academic setting and a more theological setting, um, which in the majority of us are not as familiar with unless you've done some independent studying or whatnot. Um, and so there are categories that um, that are present to those who have studied these things um, that that might we might not be aware of on sort of a, uh, a basic level for those who um, are just, you know, your typical disciples, typical Christians. And I think that's true. I think part of that is the vocabulary that's often mm -hmm. used. I mean, I know you and I are going to get into some conversation about what is the meaning of covenant? How do mm -hmm. we come up with that idea? What category does that include? And there's a lot of, some, of different views mm -hmm. uh, on uh, the term covenant. Mm -hmm. uh, so, it is important to to encourage folks that we want to really ground this in scriptural meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, we also appreciate the development, both systematically and biblically, with those who have uh, given themselves to the study of this. But our intent is not simply to get into academic debates. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, as important as, as those, I think, might be. Um, especially as you're digging into covenant theology, if you're doing it that independently, you're going to run into some of the debates and some of the disagreements um, that, uh, that folks have in, um, in, in, a, in trying to develop uh, helpful categories in covenant theology. Um, but I think, you know, I've had a few conversations in the past. Uh, one interesting one uh, was from a, a former elder, uh, an elder in a church, um, that that had a formal adherence to covenant theology um, in its confession of faith and even in some of its teaching ministry. And um, as I was talking to this uh, this elder, um, or he was a former elder, but he he had been an elder for for quite some time in the church. And we got on the topic of covenant theology, and and he kind of told me that he'd never really understood it. He never really come to understand it, and I found that very, very interesting um, because this is especially because it was in a setting where, where you know, at least formally, um, we had we had you know championed our our adherence to covenant theology and said that it was fundamental, and yet there was this basic disconnect even among somebody that you would not expect you know to to have it. Um, and it just got me thinking, you know, what, what, what is that? Why, why is that there? Um, and I think too, uh, in, in settings, covenant theology is, is, is very closely related to, uh, reformed, uh, theology and, 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 uh, Christian settings where a reformed theology is adhered to. Um, it's, and that's a, there's a historical reason for that and, um, and a cultural reason as well, but, um, you know, Covenant theology really has developed um, in the context of a reformed approach to the faith, and um, but but I I wondered if um, if covenant theology really is not something it's like something you get to at some point down the road after you've been um, if you're getting into reformed theology if you're get, if you're coming into the reformed faith maybe covenant theology is something you kind of get into later on down the road and I wonder if that's perhaps part of the reason why uh, there's there's some confusion surrounding it, even some apprehension surrounding covenant theology, uh, because we don't, we haven't pressed home the really integral and central um, aspect that covenant plays in 
in our theology. What do you think about that? No, I think that's true, Stuart. I think that even the terminology sometimes is a bit confusing to people. Uh, when we talk about covenant theology, if you go back and uh, trace that out in terms of the historical doctrine, sometimes it was referred to as federal theology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, before that, oftentimes the emphasis was on mostly one category within the broader pr perspective of covenant theology, and that was on the doctrine of salvation. Mm. And so I think that some of that has lent to uh, confusion. I think also there have been developments that are we would say are, are self-consciously anti-covenantal. Mm -hmm. And those views have impacted um, how people look at Scripture, the, the consistency, the continuity. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mean, one of the most basic examples is we talk about the Bible as being Old Testament and New Testament. And so that word testament actually is um, a reflection on the covenantal concept in Scripture. Mm. But that word testament has been more narrowly focused uh, for some trying to um, avoid or disagree with the broader implications of covenant mm. theology, which uh, presents a, a consistent uh, overview of God's mm. uh, practice and God's pattern uh, in reference to his involvement with his creation. Mm. Mm. So that's an interesting point because, uh, you know, we're most of us are familiar with the basic division of Scripture um, between New Testament and um, Old Testament. Uh, the way that we, that we divide the testimony of Scripture up into those two, um, I guess you might even call them, at, at the risk of of, of using a, a a boogie word, um, two two dispensations of God's revelation, um, you know, before the coming of Christ and after the coming of Christ, um, and that word testament though just comes from the Latin testamentum, which mm -hmm. is a Latin translation for our word that comes from scripture for covenant. Um, and uh, yeah, we have a consistent use of both in, in Greek diatheke mm -hmm. and barith in mm -hmm. Hebrew. We have consistent usage. There's a reference in um, Hebrews that makes a really important point that it's not limited to the Testament idea. Mm -hmm. It's broader than the last will and Testament mm -hmm. that is covenant mm -hmm. is broader than the last will and Testament. Mm -hmm. And yet it finds its fullest meaning in the last will and testament that Jesus fulfilled, mm -hmm. yeah, and and so there is some um, some helpful uh, helpful things that you can tease out of sort of the last will and testament idea, um, especially in term when you think of um, you know when someone is reading their last will and testament, oftentimes you're you're awaiting to hear what will happen with their estate. Right, mm -hmm. um, yeah, their inheritance. That's right, patrimony. Yeah, <laughs> and it and and it being gifted. To, mm -hmm. um, to to those who who are related, um, yeah, that that whole concept of gift mm -hmm. and grace mm -hmm. that's uh, implicit in mm -hmm. covenant. Another thing I think is important to understand is God did not accommodate human practices with covenant. Mm -hmm. It's not a contract. It's not just limited to a promise. Mm -hmm. uh, it's broader than that, and that's the richness and the value of actually going to the scriptural study mm -hmm. and seeing the pattern and the practice of God's consistency, his faithfulness, mm -hmm. and his promises. Mm -hmm. But it's not just restricted to, well, God made a promise. Right. And that oftentimes becomes confusing because uh, the application of covenant, uh, as it's revealed to us in Scripture, does not put God in a box. Oh, God made this promise. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we read, uh, for example, 
uh, Proverbs. Mm-hmm. We, we take it the wrong way. It's a cause and effect kind of mm-hmm. mindset that we have. But that's not the idea that's mm-hmm. there. You know, mm-hmm. God is not put in a box of our forcing him and saying, oh, you promised this. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, comes very much to the fore in reference to the new covenant mm-hmm. and the promises that God made to Abraham and on through the Old Testament um, that are recognized in uh, the fulfillment that comes through Christ. And thus the Apostle Paul argues in reference to the misunderstanding. Of course, Jesus before him uh, confronted the Pharisees about their misunderstanding about the promises that God made, the covenantal promises that God made. Mm. Uh, so I think that's really important that we recognize that covenant is initiated by God. It's mm. a specific um, revelation that God has given. Mm. It is not accommodating human practices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we found so far then is is that there's a need on two levels, at least two levels, to, to have these conversations um, about covenant theology. Uh, there's, I think, a need for teachers um, in the church to understand that that this is something that is not familiar to um, to, to, to many of us and um, and and can be confusing. Um, and then there's a need for for us disciples to understand the centrality of covenant theology as it arises in scripture. And it's not something really you you get to in the sense of 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 a point of theology that you build to, but it's really the launching point for studying scripture. It's the launching point for understanding God's purposes um, in the world and with us. And so, with that in it's mind, the, it's the unifying theme yeah, yeah. of God's uh, purpose as yeah. Creator and Savior. Right. Uh, right. We, we find covenant before the fall, before original sin, and we find God's covenant arrangement uh, being. Uh, addressed to the need Mm -hmm. after original sin. Mm -hmm. But it is God's initial and God's intentional condescension, Mm -hmm. bridging the gap Mm -hmm. between the otherness of who God is Mm -hmm. and limitations and the condition of his creation and of his creatures. That's good. So with that in mind, then, I think what we're seeing is that it's, it's really helpful to develop at the ground level some categories to have in mind. Um, so that when when we're developing and looking into the specifics of, of of covenant theology and how it's revealed in Scripture, we have some some categories in mind. I want to talk just a little bit about the importance of of d- doing the spade work of developing categories real quick um, before you maybe even launch into the particulars of covenant theology. Why is it important to develop some categories? Well, that's right, because Scripture does. <laughs> that's the way God communicates to us. And we can find consistency of meaning, uh, revealing God's will and purpose to us through the study of Scripture, as you say, as we dig into Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we we talk about um, God's self-revelation, mm-hmm. you know, who He is. He makes Himself known. We could not have any fruition or knowledge of God as our blessedness and reward, but by some uh, condescension, some willing condescension on God's part. That is God bridging that gap. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, of course, that came through the incarnation. Mm-hmm. But with the incarnation, what is it that Jesus says? This is this blood, this cup is my blood of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. I, I, that to me is so astounding. That that alone puts us in a place to want to start asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we start with God, mm. who is uncreated, mm. independent, mm. Uh, in all of his non-communicable attributes mm. that he reveals and makes known to us mm. 
uh, that we could uh, we could not otherwise know. And, and there's something I want to say too about uh, this uh, study of covenant and the revelation of covenant in Scripture, and that is, it does not come by general revelation. The knowledge of covenant is a specific um, and a word-oriented revelation from God to the point that in Scripture, sometimes God's oath and God's covenant are synonymous. Mm. Right. So it, it's um, it's a bit like, um, well, well, first of all, r- relating to that, I mean, we find the covenant idea outside of Scripture in a basic way. So there is mm-hmm. some familiarity with, with just the Sometimes basic- I call that sub-covenant just yeah. for the point of, of discussion that there are covenants, there are mm-hmm. practices of mm-hmm. contracts and mm-hmm. promises uh, among humans. Mm-hmm. But my view is that God didn't accommodate that, mm-hmm. that, that God's covenant predates that right, <laughs> and is, right. is prior to it. And right. this is the revelation that God has given of his pattern and mm-hmm. of his practice. I guess you'll hear me say that often. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, the the helpful perspective there is to see that anything that, that we understand as creatures, as God's creation in terms of covenant, um, comes their echoes right of 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 what god <laughs> um has already yeah echoes already, reflections right. mm-hmm. sure right. yeah so it's not it's not that god is responding to a human idea but any mm-hmm. any idea that we have of covenant um in you know outside of of the specific biblical idea of covenant um would be a reflection of something that's already true that God has has revealed mm-hmm. and 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 because of that then really the biblical covenants are distinct from um yes. you know the 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 sort of common human practice yeah, and human, yeah, historically what we right. see uh right. in various trees and co- yeah. uh, uh, uh contracts and things yeah. of that nature yeah but there is a there is a relation there there is some relation there even if there is a a fundamental distinction yeah, because of, sure yeah well like like in other things you know we certainly can recognize and even though it may be corrupted uh idolatry might be a good example mm-hmm. is that there is a consciousness of god there are even attempts uh to want to represent god mm-hmm. in a way that uh, would suggest he is other, mm-hmm. but no idol, no human form, either in um, material work or in philosophical concept, can um, satisfy that, mm. and that's why God forbids it. Mm. That's good. So, um, so I think we've 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 demonstrated the importance of doing some spade work with categories. Um, and I kind of, I like to think of categories as almost a tool, you know, when you're, when you're doing theological spade work, when you're doing some construction, you need sharp tools and good categories, good, good, helpful categories are like the sharp tools that you use to do the, to do the hard digging that it takes to develop a theology and to dig out of scripture, a central idea like covenant and, and, um, and, and for it to be useful. Uh, to us. And so I think you've already mentioned, I think one of the most fundamental and central categories that are going to be helpful to um, to develop. And that is what many have called the the creator creature distinction. And you've mentioned already that that God is not like us. He's not us <laughs> and we are not him. God is in a category um, all of his own. And I think to really, dig into the development of covenant theology, we first really need to get our minds around what scripture reveals uh, about the nature of God. 
and 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 the nature of his creation. And so can you talk a little bit about what that category is of the creator creature distinction and why that's important? Yeah, I think that's exactly the place we start because that's where scripture starts. Mm -hmm. And um, we're not limited to just a chronological study uh, of scripture as much as I appreciate and value that. Uh, we have the whole revelation of Scripture. So, for example, in our conversations about covenant, oftentimes we will take the development of those themes from the New Testament Scriptures, and they will help inform us even as we look back into the Old Testament. Uh, so that's really, I think, a, a valuable understanding of the nature of categories, that they are something that are revealed to us and that they are informed by the whole of Scripture. Mm. Uh, so when we start with God... You know, it's a matter of self-revelation, and, and we often recognize that uh, some have called two books, but there are two ways of God's revealing himself. God has revealed himself through creation, mm -hmm. and now we know that that uh, has been spoiled by original sin, at least in terms of uh, human ability to fully recognize uh, all that God reveals about himself. So there's not only the natural revelation or the, the revelation of God as creator, but then there is also the need for special revelation. And this is the revelation that comes through the Holy Scriptures, uh, uh, the word-based revelation from God. And I already mentioned the fact that covenant can only be understood that way. You can only discover God's covenantal dealings through His Word. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's connected with the Word of God and ultimately with the Incarnation. Um, so we start out with, the, with understanding what is uh, God's revelation about Himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Bible is self-revealing. The Bible is self-interpreting. Uh, the Bible is sufficient for our uh, understanding what God would have us know about Himself. It doesn't. It does not entail. It does not exhaust who God is. Mm -hmm. But the things that are known about God that God has revealed give us confidence and faith and assurance about the unknown things. Mm -hmm. And so we have two important categories historically that have been recognized in the study of theology. And systematic theology, and that is God's non-communicable attributes and God's communicable attributes. Hmm. The, those uh, attributes of God's being that are uh, unto himself, not shared, and that are otherness and, and cannot be shared by the limitations of his uh, creatures. And then those communicable attributes that God does share, uh, particularly with his image bearers. Hmm. Um, and so that's when we talk about the otherness of God. Mm. Uh, we talk about um, the, the uncreated creator mm. and the difference and the distance, as, mm. as the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith puts it, the distance between mm. God and his creature mm. is so vast, so great, mm -hmm. um, that there could only be a, a, an understanding, a knowledge, a fruition of God as our blessedness and reward other than by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he has been mm. pleased to make by way of covenant. Mm. Yeah, that's a great statement from the Westminster Confession of Faith um, about this very category of, of God being God and we not being God. <laughs> his cre right. his creatures not, not sharing that's his right. attributes. And in yeah. terms of other uh, pagan uh, mm -hmm. views, uh, and the danger of those seeping in, and historically the mm -hmm. guard against those seeping into our Christian faith, mm -hmm. that is we do not uh, uh, somehow 
uh, transform into a uh, chain of being that's right. and become deified. That's right. We do not yeah. share in God's divinity. Right. Well, we share his communicable attributes. Mm-hmm. We are transformed ethically, mm-hmm. but not ontologically or that's not right. according to our essence. We are that's always right. and ever will be creatures that's of right. God. Yeah. So, so, you know, this is... This is perhaps the broadest horizon that you can take. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's it, it really is the 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 furthest back you can you can go, and I think it's necessary because it sets it sets up the plot line, it sets up the the setting and all that for us to to kind of narrow in a bit uh, on on. You know, there's the another flip side of this too, Stuart. Mm-hmm. When we say that uh, we are not on some chain of being to deification, mm-hmm. we must also recognize, and here's another danger that has been recognized historically within the church. And that is to somehow denigrate uh, the created limitations that we Mm -hmm. have, not just in reference to original sin, Mm -hmm. but in reference to original limitations. That's right. That we were not created to be God. Mm -hmm. We were created to bear the image of God ethically. Mm -hmm. And as such, then we must not look at those human limitations or Mm -hmm. the limitations of the creation that Mm -hmm. God has made and try to transcend those limitations uh, or by denigrating Mm -hmm. uh, the physical Mm -hmm. or the material, Mm -hmm. uh, which you know, and many others maybe know in terms of uh, dualism that Mm -hmm. has crept in and seems to always be pressing at the door Mm -hmm. of Christian doctrine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Well, as you're talking about this basic category, it it brought to mind Paul's Paul's speech in the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17, when Paul confronts the Stoics and um and he confront what was the other uh what was the other philosophical group there? Was it the, the Epicureans? Epicureans? Yeah, Epicureans. Okay. And um and really those two those two ancient Greek philosophical groups um are kind of a if you were to you know, transport them to today, that'd be something like new atheists and new ages, new agers. Yeah. Right? yeah. The broad <laughs> um, kind of right. the broad spectrum from one spectrum of the Pharisees and the right. Sadducees right. of the secular world. That's right. So, <laughs> so, um, so it's sort of an interesting setting there because it really helpfully illustrates what we're talking about here. And, and the place that Paul goes in his speech to the Areopagus is he, well, first of all, he points to this, this, you know, shrine or or uh, sort of uh, it was a marker for to to the unknown god, right? And he begins there and says, "Look, what 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 you've here said is is unknown. I'm going to declare to you and make known to you this mm-hmm. this unknown god." But but the where he goes there, he says, um, "This unknown god is 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 the one who's made the world, everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, and he doesn't live in temples made mm-hmm. by man." Mm-hmm. Um, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since mm-hmm. he himself gives to all mankind life and breath mm-hmm. and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all mm-hmm. the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling. They should seek God and perhaps uh, feel their way toward him. And yet he's mm-hmm. actually not far from each one of us mm-hmm. for and he's quoting one of their pagan poets here mm-hmm. in him we live and move and have our being mm-hmm. um and as even some of your poets have said we are indeed his offspring and so being god's offspring we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver so that's that distinction that creator creature distinction he's not like the created things mm-hmm. he is the creator of all things mm-hmm. he's he's not a 
he's not like gold or silver or stone. He's not an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And then here it gets to the ethical difference that you were talking about, because then he goes to this, the times of ignorance, God, this creator, God, he's, he is overlooked in the past, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Mm -hmm. So there's the ontological difference. You know, God is not like man and he does, he's not served by human hands as though he mm -hmm. needs every, anything. And there's an ethical difference because the, the, the fact is there's a reality of sin that has estranged us from our creator. Mm -hmm. And so the times of ignorance God has overlooked in the past, but now he's calling all everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness mm -hmm. um, by a man who's, who, who he, whom he has appointed. And of this, he gives assurance to all by raising him from mm -hmm. the dead. So Paul really mm -hmm. captures there um, the, the, why we start with this creator-creature distinction and mm -hmm. what that tells us about how God is different from his creation but also how he relates to his creation. So just because God is ontologically different and we're not like God and he's not like us, doesn't mean there's no relationship there. Because like you said, he's made us in his image. He's made us to relate to him, not in terms of our being, but in terms of our, our, our ethically, we're made in his image. We're meant to reflect his righteousness. We're meant to reflect those communicable attributes that you've talked about. But what we see in scripture, and I think this is why it can be helpful to start here where Paul starts. We all know and we bear in our hearts and our souls that something has gone awry mm -hmm. and that the creator that made us, uh, we don't enjoy the fellowship that we were made uh, for in him. Um, and that, of course, is the reality of sin. And so the ethical difference there, the moral difference, the moral disruption, uh, these are all things that covenant theology really speaks to. It really gets at um, what God is doing in order to relate to us, you know, even originally without sin, but especially after sin has become a reality and disrupted our relationship, what God has covenanted to do to bridge that ethical divide mm -hmm. uh, between between us and him. So I think we see why this is such a fundamental category to kind of to get our heads around. Also to fast forward if we do uh can speak that way mm -hmm. uh the incarnation the incarnation is really the pinnacle and when i say incarnation i include in that the resurrection the ascension and glorification of christ mm -hmm. uh but the incarnation is really the pinnacle of covenant theology and that's why even in scripture it's uh put in terms of the last adam uh, now there was covenantal relationship with uh, between God and Adam, between the triune God mm. and Adam and Eve in the garden before original sin, and, and that's a very interesting and important uh, historical um, part of Scripture, and it also sets the stage then for our understanding the uh, works of God and the communication of God and the importance of the last Adam coming through. Uh, the new, uh, you know, f being fulfilled in the new covenant. Mm. Mm. Well, um, I think we're going to have to wrap this up. Um, and as you can see, we haven't tapped into um, a formal kind of definition of covenant theology, but I think what we've done is some important spade work in, um, in getting to that point where we want to understand how it is that the covenant theology of scripture um, helps us understand the implications, particularly of um, of this fundamental reality of God uh, being 
in his being, being distinct from his creation, but relating to his creation in a way that he is appointed and specifically relating to his creation um, in light of sin. Um, and so our, our understanding of covenant theology and our definition of covenant theology needs to be um, guarded and, and set within the boundaries of that basic uh, category of what God has revealed. And so I think what we try to do in this episode is is um, is is first to to set that category down as a as a foundation that God is the Creator and He is distinct from His creation, and that ha- has both qualitative implications that God is qualitatively different, um, but He's also because of sin ethically different, and um, and that qualitative difference is a positive difference. There's nothing wrong with being created. There's nothing deficient about being God's created. He created all things and he said that it's good. And so it, there's nothing wrong with not sharing God's essence, not sharing his divinity. That's that's the way God made us. He didn't make, make us to to sort of um, slide along this this chain of being, right? And solely become become divinized. That's not our goal. Our goal is to be uh, is to be all that God created us to be. And uh, secondarily, um, we we know that there's a negative difference as well. And of course, that is because of the historical reality of sin. And covenant theology then is is the plot line that God has put into place to address, I think, both of those realities, how God relates to us as our creator and also how God relates to us as our savior. And that's something we're going to have to develop in a, in our next episode, I think. Okay, well... Uh, remember that you can find more at ncconvo.com. And as well, we're uh, developing both Facebook and then, of course, this uh, audio and audio video podcast. So we hope you'll stay with us. Uh, we are enjoying very much these conversations together. All right. Thanks a lot. It was a, it was a fun conversation, and we'll jump back into it in our next episode. Until then, we'll talk to you later.